During this Lenten season, I have organized the sermons and weekly worship around the meaning of Jesus for our lives and for our world. We've considered the person of Jesus and the prayer of Jesus. In coming weeks, we will consider the piety, passion, and power of Jesus. And today, we have the politics of Jesus. In our first lesson from Luke, we heard Jesus state his own vision of his mission in the world in terms of the language and agenda of the Hebrew prophets. And now in Luke chapter 20, we have perhaps Jesus' most famous words about the relationship of faith and the political world. Listen now for this word of God from Luke chapter 20. So they watched Jesus and sent spies who pretended to be honest in order to trap him by what he said, so as to hand him over to the jurisdiction and authority of the governor. So they asked him, Teacher, we know that you are right in what you say and teach, and you show deference to no one, but teach the way of God in accordance with truth. Is it lawful? For us to pay taxes to the emperor or not. But he perceived their craftiness and said to them, Show me a denarius. Whose head and whose title does it bear? They said, The emperor's. He said to them, Then give the emperor the things that are the emperor's, and to God the things that are God's. And they were not able in the presence of the people to trap him by what he said. And being amazed by his answer, they became silent. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable unto you, our rock, and our Redeemer. Amen. For people of faith, there perhaps is no more controversial joining than the words politics and Jesus. So it's okay with me if you're cringing already. Although the gospel narratives portray Jesus as deeply involved in the political narrative of first century Palestine, with its intrigue among the leaders of various religious factions and the ever-present and ever-oppressive Roman rule, for the most part, the church has focused more on personal salvation than societal transformation. Jesus' preaching was rooted in political realities. His preaching focused primarily on the kingdom of God, and then more than now, Kingdom was the prevailing model for government. But the church has shied away from such talk, tending to spiritualize Jesus' use of the word kingdom. For many Christians, lay and clergy alike, the provocative claims of Jesus that God's kingdom takes precedence over all earthly kingdoms is a little too hot to handle. So almost from the beginning of the Christian movement, the church has relied more on Paul than it has Jesus for defining the role of Christian faith and politics. 
Romans 13 is the most influential and problematic text where Paul writes, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those authorities that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists authority resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For well over 1,500 years, this text was meant to read, was read to mean the only politics there is is the politics of the state. God establishes all earthly rulers, so to oppose them or even to criticize them is to oppose God and God's will. Even the reformer Martin Luther held to that view. It was only with the rise of modern secular nation states that people began to ask, are we sure this is what Paul means here? Does God really pick and choose earthly rulers through some kind of divine caucus? Do we really think the Bible is telling us we have to obey tyrants and dictators and laws that are clearly contrary to the gospel of Jesus? And what about a multicultural, religiously diverse society such as our American experiment in representative democracy? What is our role as followers of Jesus when political forces and politicians would lead the nation away from the ideals of the gospel. New Testament scholars now tell us that in Romans chapter 13, Paul was not suggesting we have to obey every government, no matter what. Paul was concerned with a particular problem in Rome during his lifetime, and he saw Christian submission to the Roman government as a way to ease political oppression of Christians and to allow families fragmented by persecution to be reunited. All of which means Paul may not be the authority the Christian should turn to after all. Maybe we should be listening to what Jesus said about politics. In a groundbreaking book entitled The Politics of Jesus, John Howard Yoder argued that the Jesus of the New Testament is a model for political action. And the kinds of political actions Jesus practiced are transparent in Jesus' words and actions. And what did Jesus say and do? What were the politics of Jesus? Well, first of all, Jesus preached a message of the coming rule of God. One that Yoder described as a new regime whose marks would be that the rich would give to the poor The captives would be freed and men and women would have a new mentality if they believed the news. Jesus declared God's grace is abundant and reaches even those that good society deems unworthy of God's blessings. Jesus practiced nonviolent resistance to the Roman authorities he perceived to be counter to the purposes of God. Jesus practiced and preached peacemaking. The politics of Jesus were as earthly as the question of whether one should pay taxes to the government and as divinely oriented 
as to affirm God alone is the ruler of our conscience. A key passage in sorting out the politics of Jesus is Luke 4. Here at the beginning of his ministry, Jesus lays out his understanding of his mission. And what was his mission? Quoting the prophet Isaiah, Jesus said his mission was to bring good news to the poor, proclaim release to the captives, and recovery of sight to the blind, and to let the oppressed go free. In modern day terms, we might put it this way, to offer hospitality to foreigners and immigrants, release those falsely imprisoned, extend healing of body, soul, and spirit to all in need, and engage in nation building for those people living under dictatorships. Now that's a political agenda if I ever heard of one. Having said that, when it comes to many specific moral issues that we face, I think we have to admit that there is a sense in which there is no politics of Jesus. Jesus provides no political platform and no political party or government can legitimately claim to be an expression of the politics of Jesus. On many moral and political issues facing us today, There is no specific, much less definitive, word from Jesus. Rather, led by the Holy Spirit in our reading and study of Scripture, we have to apply the teachings of Jesus to our specific situation, which means at times Christian people of goodwill may come at it different places on the same issue. So in talking about the politics of Jesus, perhaps we are better served to say too little rather than to claim too much. But we do know some things about the politics of Jesus. We know that like the Hebrew prophets before him, Jesus had a preferential concern for the poor, the marginalized, and the oppressed. We know that Jesus called his followers to turn the other cheek and to love their enemies and to pray for those who persecuted them. We know Jesus advocated assertive, nonviolent resistance to Caesar, the emperor. In the days of the Roman Empire, only those Rome considered political criminals were executed by crucifixion. If a revolutionary figure exercised violent resistance, Rome crucified the leader and all of his followers. But if the would-be reformer was nonviolent, Rome was content to crucify him only. The Romans didn't execute Jesus because he was a Jewish leader or the king of the Jews. The Romans executed Jesus because they recognized the political threat of a man who dared to say, only give the emperor what is due the emperor and give to God what is due to God. Which brings us to those well-known political words of Jesus in Luke 20. A Jewish leader asked Jesus, is it lawful to pay taxes to the emperor or not? This was a trap. The coins used in to pay the Roman taxes contained the head of the emperor and an inscription to the effect, the emperor is the son of God. 
So to pay taxes with such a coin was anathema to any Jew who believed the one true God of Israel prohibited such worship. If Jesus said, don't pay your taxes, he would be immediately arrested for treason. But if Jesus said, don't pay your taxes or pay your taxes, he would lose credibility with his native people. Jesus sees the trap and delivers one of his most insightful and helpful axioms when he says, just give the emperor what is due to the emperor and give to God what is due to God. These words of Jesus have often been read to say Christians live in two kingdoms, one earthly and one heavenly, and never the twain shall meet. But is that what Jesus is saying? I don't think so. Rather, the wisdom of Jesus is this. The life of faith is always about the tension between the heavenly and the earthly, between the kingdoms of this world and the kingdom of the world to come. Don't let yourself be trapped, Jesus says. Jesus might have said, be political, but don't let yourself become politicized. For Jesus, there can be only one ultimate earthly or heavenly authority, and that authority is never the emperor. And for the person with faith in Jesus, the teachings of Jesus draw us to God's authority in our lives and the life of society. What are the politics of Jesus? Well, ultimately, I think it comes down to this. The great struggle in our time is not between those who uphold traditional values and those who would tear them down. The great battle of our time is, as Jim Wallace writes in his book, God's politics, why the right gets it wrong and the left doesn't get it. What a title for a book. Wallace says the choice before us is whether we live with cynicism or with hope. Do we try to build up human life or compromise it? Do we extend the kingdom of forgiveness that we believe God extends to us? Or do we want to extract a pound of flesh for even an ounce of failure? Do we write off most of humankind as degenerate and society as fatally flawed? Do we say there is no way things can get better? Do we scoff that the city of God on earth is nothing but an idle dream? Or do we dare to reach for a more just, generous, and humane society with hope that such a world can be our world? With Jesus, do we affirm that our world can be a better place? With Jesus, do we dare to claim that God is already working in our world, bringing about divine ends so wonderful we cannot even imagine them? With Jesus, do we have the love and courage to reach out to our brothers and sisters with acceptance and compassion? Will you be satisfied with cynicism? Or by God's grace with Jesus, do you stand for hope 
and grace. This is God's word for you. Now today, may this word be fulfilled in your hearing. Amen. 